We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, what's up? It's Candlestick Chronicles, a 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Kyle Madsen. I'll be joined shortly by Chris Biederman of the Sacramento Bee. And joining us today is Nick Wagner from ESPN. We're just going to kind of be taking a look at what the 49ers have done so far in free agency and look ahead to uh, what moves could be coming down the pipe as well as free agency rolls on. New England sending QB Jimmy Garoppolo to 49ers. We believe we found the right guy. Garoppolo, quick pass, caught by Kittle. He dives, and he's in. Touchdown, 49ers. Kittle is going to go. Touchdown. All right, the 49ers have done some stuff. Uh, we're recording this late Wednesday night. I say late. It's 8.26 p.m. Pacific time Wednesday night, which I don't think classifies as late. No, Does we're it? a couple just... hours away from, from sending late night tweets. No, that's a good point. Hashtag Kyle. Just a, <laughs> uh, just a, just a regular time in the evening that we're recording this. <laughs> uh, the 49ers late last night slash early this morning, um, it was announced that they re-signed Trent Williams to a six-year deal worth $138 million of $55 million guaranteed. It's a lot of money. Uh, let's, let's start, let's start there. Uh, the 49ers land their biggest free agent fish with Trent Williams. Is this, was there, was there any serious doubt that this wasn't going to get done? Because it sounds like the Chiefs were, were very much in the mix. I'll let Nick go first. Go ahead, Nick. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because there's there's a lot of talk leading up to free agency that the 49ers are trying to get something done, and I think we all knew that Trent Williams wanted to at least see what was out there in the first couple days of free agency. And uh, it was interesting because once it started and he didn't sign within or agree to terms within the first couple of hours, you figured there was at least one team that was seriously in play. And uh, to my understanding, the Colts, which was a team that I think a lot of us thought might be involved, weren't really involved. I think they were kind of waiting on the periphery if his price didn't go uh, where it ended up going to. So I don't think they were that involved. But the Chiefs, from what I know, and, and I had heard on Sunday and, and wrote about it in my Monday morning story, the Chiefs, once they let go of their two tackles, they were pretty much dead set on trying to get 
Trent Williams. And, and I know after they signed Joe Tooney, a lot of people thought that took them out, but they were, they were all in on Trent Williams and they were willing to do whatever it took to get him. Ultimately, they just weren't able to, uh, outbid the Niners to a point where the difference was so substantial that he was going to be gone. So not a surprise that he's back. Uh, not really even a surprise that he was able to become the highest paid, uh, offensive lineman in an NFL history, but obviously a, a huge, uh, relief, sigh of relief for the 49ers because I think they ended up having to sweat it out maybe a little bit more than they expected to. Yeah, and and I think, um, you know, what was interesting about it to me was uh, what I had heard was that the Niners had to account for the difference in state income tax. Um, so I, I'm curious what their what the Chiefs' offer was and how much the 49ers had to beat that or if, if the money from the 49ers um, – you know, if if the loyalty factor with Kyle Shanahan, with um, all, just all those relationships that Trent Williams has in the building, being that, you know, he's close with Shanahan, he's close with Chris Forrester, it's obviously a scheme fit. He talked about that on the podcast with Richard Sherman and that, um, you know, he, he really wanted to be in this scheme because he thinks it showcases his skill set. Um, so I, I do wonder what the Chiefs' real offer was in comparison with the 49ers and how much – because if we knew that, we would be able to know, like, how much the the relationships with the coaching staff and, and the organization um, impacted his, his ultimate decision. And so, um, yeah, the Chiefs – I mean, you look at <laughs> – you look online at, at their cap situation and you, you figure that it doesn't make any sense for them financially to, to be in the running for Trent Williams, especially after signing Joe Thune. Um, Tooney, 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 Tooney. We, yeah, we, we figured that out last pod. I apologize. Um, but it just, you know, it, it just proves that with cap mechanics being what they are, you can, you can be really flexible if, if you're able to create other big contracts, um, in, in terms of, you know, when, in ways that, uh, create that flexibility for you, I guess. So, um, yeah, it was, I think it, it took a little bit longer than I expected for sure. I think the money was about what I expected. I had heard five years and something in the, in the 24 million a year range. It ended up being six. We obviously don't know the structure yet, so we gotta no, see that. Yeah, it's the I'm most not important saying thing. anything about the cost of the deal until <laughs> I see the structure. Don't even ask me. So, I mean, to me, it, it signals, it, it signals the 49ers sort of have a lot of credibility now, I think, mm-hmm. in that, there, like, players aren't, there isn't this mass exodus of guys. Like, we saw, you know, in previous seasons when the team would lose good players and be happy to sign elsewhere. Now it seems like, even despite going 6-10, and 10, that people do believe in, in the 49ers system right now. Um, and, and sort of the organization, the organ, the strength of the organization, top down, I think, from, you know, the relationship with John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan. It's a, it seems like a place players want to be right now. Um, which is not something you could say about the 49ers of a few years ago. So I think ultimately that's kind of a positive, especially in that, you know, it's, it, it seems like they're, they're able to bring guys back at relative discounts when you're talking about maybe Jason Verrett. Um, we haven't seen DJ Jones's, his, uh, salary yet, but him coming back, um, you know, Kyle Juszczyk obviously made a big deal about wanting to come back and <clears throat> not, and, and being San Francisco being the best fit for him out, out of anywhere. And he didn't even make it to the negotiating period. So it's, it's been a good week so far for the 49ers, but it, it would have looked drastically different if they weren't able to cross the finish line with, uh, with Trent Williams. I think, too, on the heels of a year ago this time, they were trading DeForest Buckner. 
to to save money, it would have been really hard to kind of reconcile trading DeForest Buckner, trading for Trent Williams, and then not doing financially whatever it took to keep Trent Williams. Like, if you're not paying the best left tackle in the league or one of the best left tackles in the league to protect your quarterback who can't stay healthy, what's what's then who are you ever going to pay? Right. That was going to be, I think, a pretty significant question if they had let him get away. Uh, regardless of of what the price tag was, the the Chiefs are paying Patrick Mahomes half a billion dollars, and they're paying Frank Clark and Chris Jones and Tyreek Hill, and they just signed Joe Tooney. It was it, if if the Forty ers had got outbid by a team that far up against the cap, it, I I don't. It would have been very hard to justify. I think. Yeah, you know, and the one thing too is if you go and you just compare it to the DeForest Buckner thing, and, and it's not an apples to apples comparison, but right. you know, one thing and I tweeted about this. I had a, a longtime personnel exec told me a long time ago that you always want your, in an ideal world anyway, your five highest paid players should also be your best players, of course, but they should be a quarterback, a left tackle, a shutdown corner a pass rusher, and then a wild card spot, which traditionally is probably going to be a receiver or, in the Niners' case, it's a it's a tight end. But, you know, the one thing that kept the Niners from paying DeForest Buckner his freight was at the end of the day, he was an interior defensive lineman who's not named Aaron Donald. And so they already knew that Kittle was going to kind of be their wild card guy, so to speak, making that kind of money. But Trent Williams does check one of those boxes. Trent Williams does play that premium position and he's going to get that premium price tag, especially because, you know, he's the highest paid offensive lineman of all time. He's also probably the best offensive lineman of all time to hit the free agent market openly and not have a <laughs> franchise tag on him. So it was kind of like the perfect mix and the perfect recipe for him to break the bank in the way that he did. And once you got a team involved that not only was able to go to the willing to go to the ends of the earth in terms of cap space, but you got another team that did, and both of those teams are desirable places to go and potentially win and play in a lot of meaningful games. Uh, that that kind of set the table for what you saw in the in the wee hours of this morning. Yeah, and and the other thing is it has ma- a massive ramification massive ramifications on the 49ers offseason because if they lose Trent Williams for nothing basically, other than a compensatory pick in 2022. Um, you know, they, they have to use their first round pick on a tackle or they have to sign a free agent tackle. And Nick, as you pointed out in your coverage, the, the options weren't there because this kind of dragged on a little bit longer than maybe we all expected. So it would have put the 49ers in a really tough spot. And who knows how that would have changed their offseason from a team building standpoint because of the resources they would have had to devote to left tackle or, you know, like if they're dead set, <clears throat> if they lose Trent Williams and they're probably dead set on taking a tackle in the first round, does that mean uh, they they would have liked to be more aggressive in the pass rusher market? Would somebody like um, Carl Lawson have made sense? You know, like th- those would have been possibilities if they knew they weren't getting Trent Williams. So if, you know, those with those guys already gone and, and much of the free, the top of the free agent class already off the market, the 49ers would have been in a really tough spot. And so they needed to get it done not only to have a really good left tackle in place for the foreseeable future, but just to just to maintain the integrity of the roster from a roster building standpoint. So now in the draft, they can do whatever they want. They can get a corner. They can get uh, a guard. They could trade back. They could get a pass rusher. They could potentially move up for a quarterback. Um, and they're also a more desirable spot potentially for Deshaun Watson, knowing that, hey, 
we we got one of the best, if not the best, left tackles in the league protecting your blind side. If you did want to exert any leverage you had over the Texans, because you do have um, that no trade clause, so it's it was a really massive massive development for the 49ers because this offseason would have looked drastically different and I wonder how that would have impacted um, the rest of their ability to, to you know to, to put together a, a capable roster and you know I think we'd be talking dramatically different about the offseason right now and, and talk you know try to figure out where the 49ers go from here because they have too many holes and and they wouldn't have been able to fill them all if, if they had to you know devote a draft pick a first round pick to left tackle. Yeah, and and to your point, I I think it might have been the last time I was I was on here with you guys. We were talking about where we and this might have been in I think November. We were talking about where the Trent Williams you know market might go, and I I underestimated. I, I'm going to be honest. I, I'm not going to revise history. I I kind of made reference to I thought it would be really high, but I thought he would come in below what Tunsil got. And at that time, I don't think Bakhtiari had even signed his extension, but uh, I thought it would be a little bit below what Tunsil got just because Tunsil had so much leverage, but really the more you think about it, Trent Williams had even more, almost as much leverage. I shouldn't say more, but probably equal to, other than the fact that the Niners didn't give up two first-round picks to get him, so it wasn't quite as pressing. It was pressing for all the reasons that you just laid out there, Chris, because, yeah, they just, they simply, it would have been a very seismic shift in the way this whole offseason would have played out. And it makes me wonder if instead of trying to, you know, Squit the, uh, to fit the square peg into the, into the round hole, if they would have just had to have completely adjusted the way they view 2021 as a whole in terms of the season, because you, you don't want to just start throwing money around on guys who aren't worth it just because. Now you could make the argument, well, they could sign a bunch of kind of these middle class guys who aren't getting the big deals that they, they normally would, but, uh, those would have been one year deals and, and I'm not sure it would have been great for the foundation of your franchise anyway. And the other thing is, is, if you're sitting there at number 12 and the whole world knows you need an offensive tackle, and let's say Rashawn Slater is the best, clearly the best tackle, well, there's other teams that need tackles too, uh, including some around you, such as the Chargers, that might be willing to move up ahead of you. So it would have kind of put you behind the eight ball in that way too. So a lot of reasons that Trent Williams was absolutely imperative for them to re-sign, and that's also the reason that it happened because I just don't think there was a scenario in which the 49ers were going to be outbid here unless it was just – something absolutely absurd from a team like a, a Jacksonville or somewhere like that, which I don't think Trent Williams was going to go to anyway. So the 49ers signed Trent Williams to this massive deal. And if you had told me yesterday that that was the deal he was going to get, I figured that it probably would have been like their loan move for the day while they reset and, and examined the market. But a very short while later in kind of a flurry of moves, the the Niners also – uh, hammered out a deal with center Alex Mack, which, um, I think is five and a half million dollars is reported for one year. I didn't think they were probably going to be in the running for Mack if they were giving Trent Williams that kind of deal, but this solidifies their offensive line for, for me in a way that it, it hasn't been since what the, like, early 2010s like this is going to be a really good offensive front yeah it should be um you know Alex Mack is is getting a little bit older he's 35 his his production dropped a little bit but he still only allowed one sack um in pass protection last year and that was pro football focus I think said that but um I'm curious to see I haven't I I haven't studied Alex Mack super closely yet but I'm curious to see exactly 
um, where he's at just in terms of physic physically and at this point in his career, how much can you really count on him? And I, and I trust, I trust that he's going to be a great fit all from obviously from a schematic standpoint, from a culture standpoint, but this is a 49ers team that's dealt with durability issues before. And I know Alex Mack has played a ton and not missed much time, but you're, you're, you're playing with, with fire a little bit um, with a guy who's 35 years old. That said, it's five and a half million bucks. So it's sort of in that sweet spot we've mentioned like a few times now since, uh, since we started talking about free agency. Like if you can get a good starter for five million bucks, that's a really great, that's a really good place to be, um, in terms of the way you're, you're building a roster. And so there, a lot of these guys now have come in around that five million dollar range. Um, and it's a premium spot. And we, sh- we saw what the 49ers offensive line looked like without any stability at center last year. Um, and hopefully this solidifies that spot for them. And then they could be with, with center, with center, uh, in a better spot, they could potentially get more production from right guard because they won't have to worry about playing Daniel Brunskill or cross training a bunch of these guys or playing, you know, three or four different centers throughout the season like they did last year. So, um, I'm curious to see what happens at that right guard spot. It seems like that could shape up to be a, a pretty heated competition between Daniel Brunskill and Colton McKivitz, maybe, and, and maybe Justin School gets in that mix. Um, but I, I think the 49ers offensive line getting two really good veterans, um, one certainly in his prime, one probably uh, a little bit past his prime, but it, it should prove to be a pretty sizable upgrade over what the offensive line was in 2020. One of the enduring images and sounds that I have from last season was 49ers had a practice that was open to the media at, at Levi Stadium uh, in training camp. And at one point, the starting offense was on the field, and they were uh, kind of messing around with some line combinations because, of course, Weston Richburg uh, wasn't practicing. We all know he didn't play last year. And there was a snap that sailed over the head of Jimmy Garoppolo, and it was there was a disastrous <laughs> there was a disastrous uh, sequence of events. And at one point, uh, Kyle Shanahan was putting it mildly, very perturbed with the offense and told the first, the first unit to get off the field. And it, it really, we probably should have known it at the time, but certainly looking back now, it was very foreboding for what played out over the rest of the season. But, uh, the, the, I say all that to make the point that center is an extra, extraordinarily important position to Kyle Shanahan. He puts, Great value on that. Alex Mack and our friend Eric Branch has pointed out that uh, there are very few people that have been with Kyle Shanahan at three stops in his career now. And Alex Mack is the first player that will be the only one, or I should say the only player that will fit that mold or fit that description. So it tells you what Kyle Shanahan thinks of him. It tells you how important they, the importance that they put on center as well. And I think the one thing I would caution here is, is and Chris made the point of, of his age, he has been very durable throughout his career, but I kind of feel like about this the way I do with Jason Brett, where you're happy you have him back. I think if he's, if he's healthy and he's on the field, you, you think you're going to get a good player, but I also think it shouldn't preclude them from investing in a center uh, when it comes time for the draft. And I'm not saying it needs to be super early. It doesn't even have to be until day three, but if there's a guy that they like, who better to come in and learn from than than Alex Mack and, and put yourself in a position so that uh, if and when his time is, is up and if it's only a one-year deal when it becomes official, uh, maybe you have somebody ready to go next year as well. Chris, we did a podcast talking about the 49ers' priorities in the offseason. Mm-hmm. Um, 
interior offensive line was was relatively high on that list going into the draft with with this move in mind for Alex Mack that now allows Daniel Brunskill to slide back over to right guard and let the competition play out there. Are you guys maybe not scratching interior offensive line off the list of needs entirely, but are you pushing it down the list where they can address it later in the draft instead of spending maybe a, a day one or two pick on it? Yeah, they don't have to get a guy that they feel like can start. Um, in the draft. And usually if you're talking about interior offensive line, there's usually only, you know, one or two of those guys in each draft class that you feel like could start right away. And particularly in an offense as complicated as Kyle Shanahan, as Kyle Shanahan's and as Nick pointed out how important it is to Kyle Shanahan. So to get a vet veteran, um, is huge as, as Nick said. And I think ultimately what, what this free agent period does for the 49ers, given that they've sort of solidified their offensive line, um, they added an edge rusher in Sam, in, uh, Samson Ebukam, which, which we'll talk about here shortly. Um, and they brought back Jason Verrett and Emmanuel Mosley. Now they have that freedom, I think, in the draft to just target the best players, uh, sort of regardless of position. So, um, to, to Nick's point, like, they're gonna draft a corner, they're gonna draft a, uh, uh, interior offensive lineman probably they might even draft a, a, a tackle um, but they're in a spot now where they don't have to rely on rookies to come in and play major roles like they did in 2019 and, and 2020 um, you look at 2019 with with what Nick Bosa and Dre Greenlaw and, and Debo Samuel gave them that's not something you can count on right so to have veterans in a lot of these spots at affordable contracts it doesn't, it doesn't stop you from adding to those spots through the draft and it, it allows you to, to bring these guys in and potentially develop them with the system while also giving your, giving your team a, a good shot at contending because you have guys that have been in those situations. They've played in big games and there isn't going to be that massive transition period in a big role as there would be for a rookie. Yeah. And it doesn't, it, like you say, I, I think the, the biggest thing, and I, I wrote about this that, that this Trent Williams signing gave them is that flexibility that you talked about, Chris, where you said they can move up, they can move down, they can take the best player available if they want to sit and make a pick. And I don't think it should preclude them from taking an interior offensive lineman. You know, I think if, if, if it's a scenario where they don't get an enticing trade back and Rashawn Slater, for example, is the best player on the board, draft him, put him at guard. And, and I think the yeah. other factor here too is, is, if Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be your starting quarterback next year, and uh, I think that's at least most likely as we still sit here right now, and obviously that can change, but as we sit here right now, that's most likely. Why wouldn't you want to protect him as much as possible and give him as many weapons as possible? Because we have seen that when he's at his best, it's when things around him are working as well as possible. And so if you can maximize that and put him in a better position, it's going to put the whole team in a better position. And so I, I definitely wouldn't rule out that possibility. I, I don't even think it makes it less likely. I just think that it makes it opens up more possibilities as a whole as opposed to forcing the Niners and pigeonholing them into one position where this is going to have to be what they do when it comes time to make that pick. If they were able to draft an offensive lineman in the first round, if it was Slater, they would have five former first-round picks. <clears throat> starting yes. on the offensive line. Wow. <clears throat> so they they would have the potential to maybe have one of the best offensive lines in the league. And obviously no matter who the quarterback is, that would be that would be massive. I think they can get there even without using a high draft pick on the position honestly. Yeah. But there wouldn't be any weak points, you know. Right. 
Like it, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be Daniel Brunskill and four first round picks. Yeah, and, and the other thing about you know if you did and I, again this is just kicking it around, but if it was a guy like uh, Rashawn Slater, if you don't feel super comfortable giving Mike McGlinchey a, a big yeah. extension after next year, you plug him in at right guard for a year and then you you bump him outside to right tackle and problem solved, and you still got a, you know three more years of, of team control after that. So yeah. uh, there's a, there's a lot of reasons that it would work out, but I think that's the the big thing that the Niners knew that they were not only paying for the the best left tackle in the league or one of the best left tackles in the league, they were paying for that flexibility and also keeping that first-round pick in their pocket just in case a, a certain quarterback in Houston does become available. Tyrod Taylor? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I think he retired, which is, which is a bummer. Um... We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I want to real quick get to who exited from the 49ers. Uh, Kendrick Bourne signed with the Patriots. Akello Witherspoon headed to Seattle. And Solomon Thomas is heading down to Las Vegas to play with the Raiders. Did any of those moves surprise you in terms of uh, the 49ers not aiming to bring them back? No, not really. I think the surprising thing is how early some of these guys have gone. Yeah. Um, I, I was expecting Solomon Thomas and, you know, I, I, I think I said it on the pod that it would, it would, it might take a while for him to sign, um, because he was coming off an injury and, and because he wasn't all that productive with the 49ers. And you can make the same case for Akella Witherspoon. And clearly these teams still see upside. These are, you know, Solomon Thomas obviously still a f- former first round pick and Akella Witherspoon is somebody who, shows pro bowl potential from time to time but the obvious issue is is consistency and it's such a roller coaster ride with him that the 49ers were weren't willing to ride that ride anymore um and, and with Kendrick Bourne you know I thought he would be a coveted a coveted guy but to see him go on the first day and to get the contract he got I mean it's great for him but I don't think the 49ers are are ultimately um you know really worried about their receiving core in that they lost Kendrick Bourne and, and they didn't have the opportunity to pay him, you know, more than $7 million a year. Um, and, and it's going to be good for him because he's probably going to be their, their number two or three receiver. And with the 49ers, depending on how the draft goes, um, Bourne was probably not going to have that big of a role. So, um, at least with San Francisco. So, um, no, I'm not really surprised. I, I think, the guys that have come back are guys that make a lot of sense to bring back for the 49ers. And I, I would have, I would have been surprised if they gave Akella Witherspoon another contract. I, and, and the same goes for Solomon Thomas and Kendrick Bourne. Um, but I think for the thing that surprised me is just 
how quickly those guys went, um, which indicates those teams that got them really like them. And, uh, and, you know, I'm fascinated to see how it works out for those guys because I don't think the 49ers are ultimately too worried about any three of those guys leaving. Yeah. And I, I was, uh, I was not surprised either. I was a little bit surprised at the initial numbers, but I took your guys' advice and I waited to see the structure before I <laughs> passed any judgment. And once I saw the Kendrick Bourne one, it made a little bit more sense to me because, you know, you see the initial numbers, you're like, wow, he's getting a little over $7 million a year. And, Really, it kind of looks more like a one-year, $5 million deal, and then we'll kind of see what happens from there. But uh, nonetheless, the fact that he was anything above $5 million, I know was going to be a little bit more than the 49ers were going to be willing to spend. And I, I think if the Niners had lost Kyle Juszczyk, maybe they would have been a little bit more involved in keeping Kendrick Bourne because I think we would have seen them transition the offense a little bit and not, not run as much 21 personnel if they had, had lost Kyle Juszczyk. I don't even know if they would have employed a fullback necessarily. So uh, I, I think that was a little eye-opening on, on his surface, but, you know, not not a huge surprise that he got a decent deal. And then Akella Witherspoon, I, and I just felt like he was one of those guys, and I, we do a thing every year, uh, you know, at ESPN where each of us who, who covers a team, we have to choose a guy who needs a fresh start. And Witherspoon was my guy that I chose. And I just felt like even if the Niners had interest in him, it was probably for the best for him to move on because he was just kind of in and out of Kyle Shanahan's doghouse at times. Um, he just could never seem to put it all together. He'd get those little bursts like he had at the beginning of 2019 at the end of 2020, but you didn't see it. And then when he wasn't playing special teams, you know, he wasn't even active. He was a healthy scratch at certain points. So you kind of knew – he was on the way out, and maybe we shouldn't be surprised that Seattle is where he landed, given their affinity for for former 49ers. And Solomon Thomas, I mean, I, I'm sure that's going to be another deal. You know, I, I think the phrasing was up to five million dollars for the one year. I'm, I'm guessing it's probably more like two, uh, two and a half million, and then some upside with with incentives and things like that for playing time and whatnot. But um, you know, I'm, I'm actually happy for Solomon Thomas. It, it's a shame he never worked out and. Even if he had played this season, I think best case scenario, he would have proved himself um, as a nice rotation piece. But I don't think even if you if you become a nice a nice rotation piece in year four and you were a number three overall draft pick at one point in your career, that's never going to be enough for for the fans. So if he lands somewhere else and is able to to become that, um, it's it'd be a little bit easier and, and it would be a little more acceptable, I think, from the fan base. So probably for the best for him to to move on and get a new start too. My favorite thing about the structure bit and like needing to wait for the structure <laughs> is that you actually do. Like you do, it's, that's a real thing. It's just like an unspoken thing that we speak. I, I really, I really enjoy that thing. Well, I, it's, I it's hard to send out a flurry of like two tweets as soon as it happens. I have to, I have to, I have to sometimes sit back and wait, but yeah, it's different. Yeah. Absolutely right. That's, couldn't have said it better. We talked a lot about Akella Witherspoon. I want to talk about the 49ers cornerback situation now. So. They re-signed Jason Verrett on a one-year deal. They signed prior to free agency in the legal negotiating window opening. Emmanuel Mosley was a restricted free agent. They signed him to a two-year deal. So Verrett and Mosley are the two starting corners on the roster. Our guy Ken Webster is there as well. Uh, Tim Harris Jr., Adonis Alexander. They're all on the roster, but I don't think the 49ers can be done at cornerback yet. I have a two-part question here for you guys. Um, is there another move to be made in free agency at corner or is that something that they're going to do through the draft? Do you think, because I don't think they're going to go into the year with Verrett and Mosley and then 
who who they have on on the roster right now. And then the other thing is, it feels like the longer Kwan Williams is available, the better chance there is the 49ers have at re-signing him because I thought he was one of the guys that would go early and I certainly didn't think that Kendrick Bourne and Akella Witherspoon and Solomon Thomas would all be off the board before he is. So, Nick, do the 49ers, do you think, sign another corner or do they go that route in the draft and then what are the odds do you, that, do you, what do you think the odds are? Easy for me to say that, that Williams returns. Yeah, I think I think there's a good chance that the answer to that question is both, uh, both the draft and in free agency. And, and I think the the one thing with with Mosley and Verrett that that's nice for the 49ers is, as you sit here right now, you look at it and say that's probably your two starting outside corners. But they don't have to peg those guys as outside guys. You know, both of those guys have the ability. And more likely, it would be Mosley to kick inside and play in the slot. So if the Niners saw an outside corner that they really liked that was out there in free agency, uh, or, or if they saw a nickel, they could kind of, you know, play with it that way because Mosley and, and Verrett both have some versatility that way. So I think the 49ers are still in on K1 Williams. I, I agree with you that the market doesn't seem like it's taken off. I know there's a handful of teams that have interest in him at last check, but the fact that he hasn't got a deal, there's a couple of, you know, Mike Hilton from the Steelers got a, a pretty sizable contract, uh, but then you see a guy like Justin Coleman who got a one-year deal for something like $2.75 million. I think Hilton's was averaging $6 million, something like that. My guess is is that Williams probably comes in somewhere in between those, and I think teams just have a little bit of trepidation with Kwan Williams because of the injury history, and, and this year in particular – he had some issues, and obviously he had some early in his career as well, and he, he's getting close to, to 30 right in that range. So I, I think that has brought his price down a little bit. I think that the fact that he didn't have the year that he had in 2019 in 2020 uh, maybe gives the Niners a better chance to keep him than initially thought. So uh, I still think the Niners need to make a – serious investment at corner regardless and even if they re-sign Kwan Williams I wouldn't I wouldn't hate them drafting a corner as early as the first round still yeah. because I just think that's one of those positions you need as much depth as possible and also Jason Verrett's on a one-year deal Manuel Mosley's in this unrestricted uh, I guess he signed a two-year deal so he, he'll be around but who knows what the other corner they're going to sign uh would be so I, I wouldn't have any issues with them spending a little money to get a, to get a slot corner and, and go out and draft an outside guy or, or vice versa. And there's some really good looking corners in this draft that I think will be there in the first couple of rounds. Yeah. And it might be they're able to get, uh, one of these veterans on, on a discount sort of as, sort of as, yeah. as time goes on because there are a lot of, you know, pretty good veterans that you still might be able to get maybe on a one year deal. Um, with some upside and, and if they're motivated to, you know, to be on a team that, that might be contending, um, and to re-up their value for when the, when the salary cap bounces back next year, the year after, then, then the Niners might be a, an appealing destination from that standpoint. Um, AJ Boye is a guy who's still available. Casey Hayward, um, you know, Kevin King from, from the Packers. He's, you know, Rashawn Melvin. These aren't like, these aren't star guys, obviously, and, and, but you're, they could be good values at the right price, uh, particularly if you're not counting on them to be, you know, one of your starting guys. If you're, if you're just kind of adding guys to throw into a competition, 
um, than I think Verrett and Mosley and, you know, a first round draft pick and another one of these veterans, I think is a, is a pretty good way to, to head into a season, um, because you'll let the competition play out. And that could be a pretty good competition between some of those guys. Um, so yeah, I, I think the 49ers are, I expect them to add one, one of these veterans maybe. Um, and, and I certainly expect them to add one or maybe two in the draft. It wouldn't surprise me at all if the 49ers drafted both an outside and inside guy and even a safety who was, who was versatile. Uh, maybe somebody who could play in the slot and play deep just in case, you know, Jimmy, you give yourself a little bit of, of Jimmy Ward insurance. Um, so yeah, I think there, there are going to be some moves made still. Um, it wouldn't surprise me at all if, if they brought in three more guys combined between free agency and the draft, maybe even more. Um, they're probably going to find undrafted guys too. You, you look at what they have right now. And aside from Verrett and Mosley, it's really kind of a who's who of, of guys that you wouldn't feel great about going into the season if, if they were part of the 53 man roster. So, um, yeah, I'm expecting some moves to come and it wouldn't surprise me if they can get one of these veterans, maybe on the cheap, um, because it's not a great time to be a veteran cornerback right now, it seems like. Yeah, and I, I just, I don't think you can go into a year with Jason Verrett as good as he was last year and just be confident that you're going to get 16 games out of him. Yeah. Just given, given the sample size. Like you, you, you hope because if he picks up where he left off, you're looking at a pro bowler for five and a half million dollars, which is a, a, a bargain at corner. And, and that's the way teams kind of, uh, that's the kind of team building move that, that allows a team to compete for a Super Bowl relatively quickly. So. Well, yeah. And if Jason Verrett comes in and has another season like he did last year, his name's back on the map. Like if he gets a Pro yes. Bowl nod and, you know, and he hits the free agent market again next spring, there's a pretty good chance the Niners aren't going to be able to afford him. Right. So you need to insulate yourself from that. Um, and you probably do that by drafting guys. So if they, if they took a corner in the first two rounds, that wouldn't surprise me at all. And, and you're getting that corner in a pretty good spot to maybe need to contribute in sort of a bit role early on. And mm-hmm. then as he develops, sort of turn into a starter, um, if, if and when you lose Jason Verrett in 2022. Yeah. And I, I think too, the, the, the one nice thing for the 49ers is, and this goes back to what we're talking about with Trent Williams and the flexibility they have going towards the draft, but, the fact that they don't have to sit and make a pick at number 12, that they can move back. This seems like the kind of draft that is is not super deep with corners and pass rushers in terms of like going into the third and fourth round, but early in, early in the draft to the point like this, the back half of the first round and the early second round looks like it's going to be kind of a sweet spot for corners and for pass rushers, uh, defensive ends, so uh, edge rushers, all caps, if, if you will. So uh, <laughs> if you if you have that that need, and I think the 49ers would be wise to invest in either of those positions very fairly early. If they could move back and get one of those guys there, it might work out where it's the perfect kind of marriage between need and value. Yeah, this is a legitimate football cat football podcast. So every time we say edge, just know it's in all caps. Right. We don't want to yell at you because, you know, for obvious reasons, but just pretend that we are yelling at you in all caps. <laughs> Be super funny. Just talking about the 49ers draft needs, you know, in the first round I could really see him going with an edge. And I think that Um speaking of edge rushers, let's talk about Samson Abukam, who they signed on a two year deal from the Rams. Chris, we talked a little bit about this during our last pod on Locker Room. Have you, I don't want to say changed your mind, but do you have anything to add to the Abucom 
addition because at first I felt like it was just kind of like, oh, it's a nice rotational piece, but he, he seems to be the kind of player that might, that might wind up breaking out if he's given a, a larger role in the 49ers scheme. Yeah, I think there definitely is some breakout potential. And I think it's interesting from the standpoint that the 49ers made him a priority, right? Like this was a guy they sought out on the first day of free agency. So they clearly, they clearly like him and have a role for him in mind. What we don't know is exactly what that role is going to be. And some of that could hinge on what happens with D Ford. We have, we haven't had an update on D Ford. Um, since since early January. So we don't know where he's at aside from the reports coming out that the 49ers restructured his contract. If D Ford's back injury is going to linger into into the start of training camp um, and the start of the season, then there's a very good chance that, that Ebukam is, is going to be a starter or at least um, a prominent player along the defensive line in Ford's spot. So, you know, I, I, I grinded some of the tape. Um, and, and I thought Abukam, I mean, he's, he's very clearly a, a good athlete. And with the Rams, he was, you know, he dropped into coverage a lot. He was used as sort of that traditional 34 outside linebacker. Where I think, you know, with the 49ers, it, it looks like if he's in that Ford role, he's just going to be able to pin his ears back, um, and, and get after the quarterback. And so if you just look at his athletic traits, and if you imagine that the 49ers are going to use him in a more optimal way, um, and you pair that with his durability and the fact that he hasn't missed a game in his career, I think there's definitely some promise there, <clears throat> particularly if you're able to get Nick Bosa back on the other side, if you're able to get J- Javon Kinlaw to um, to evolve as a player and be significantly better in year two, which I think he probably will be. And then that allows you to get Eric Armstead back inside um, where he was way more productive in 2019 than he was in 2020. And then if Abu Cam just is sort of the, the guy you're, you're not as worried about as those other three, then he could be in a spot where you see him in one-on-ones. And if there's third and long, then he could potentially be that impact player, um, that, you know, people talk about Shaq Barrett and, and sort of being a no name. I know I mentioned him last week. That's, that is like the ultimate pie in the sky scenario, right? But, he has that that type of athletic ability. It's just up to him to to keep evolving as a pass rusher to get there. But I think in terms of being in a good situation to realize your potential, um, given all that athleticism that he has and the flashes of production that we've seen from him, I think it's a good spot. And in the worst case scenario, you have you know a pass rusher at a premium position, like Nick said, who's you know who's in that five six million dollar range. Um, which, which I ultimately, I think is fine. And if you get 16 games out of him with five or six sacks, I think that's definitely worth the price tag. And, and look, he's also gonna, he's also gonna contribute on teams. Um, so we can't overlook that factor just from a a pure roster building perspective. Again, big football guy there just calling it teams. He, you know, he doesn't, he, Chris, Chris, Chris is pressed for time. He doesn't have time to say special right now. But, yeah. um, he's also very tired. So, uh, the, the thing, the, the interesting thing with Samson Abicom, actually, if you go back to 2017 when, when he was coming out of the draft and the Eastern Washington at the time had a couple of interesting wide receivers, uh, one of whom just departed the 49ers in free agency and that's Kendrick Bourne. And the other guy they had was Cooper Cup. And uh, everybody that was at their pro day will tell you that Samson Abukam was the guy that kind of jumped out when they were up there to see those two guys, and particularly Cup. 
Uh, and Abu Khan was a freak athlete who actually ran a faster 40, I believe, than either of those two guys. And at the time, uh, the Rams, in 2017, when they drafted him, they, they had a guy by the name of Rand Carthon, who um, was, was with them as their pro personnel director uh, up until 2017, right around that draft. And Rand Carthon is now the 49ers pro director, uh, pro director of pro <laughs> personnel. Really easy for me to say, but, um, there, but there's a tie there that, um, I think is interesting. And he obviously has a lot of ties to, to the old 40, uh, to the old Rams front office. So, um, I, I think that kind of maybe illuminates it a little bit in, in what they see in him and, and maybe where the background comes from. Uh, the fact that he has been very healthy and hasn't missed any games in his career was certainly something that the 49ers wanted to uh, to get. That is more of a priority, and I think that's been clear with some of the moves that they've made here uh, in free agency. And I think Abukam's going to be a guy who's going to get a lot of opportunities to rush the passer. And I think in their mind, if they can get him with Chris Kasurik and let him refine some of those pass rush moves, he's going to get plenty of one-on-one opportunities so long as Nick Bosa is healthy on the other side, and he's going to be able to take advantage of that. And as Chris said, if he gets anywhere in that – Four, five, six, seven sacks uh, a year. You're getting more than your money's worth at, at that point. Let's fast forward to February. Um, the 49ers are in the Super Bowl. Which of their free agent additions is kind of the like story? Hmm. Who has a bigger impact, Samson Abukam or Alex Mack? Or Trent Williams or Jason Barrett. That's hard to say because I mean I think we all have a certain level of expectation for Trent Williams. Um, sure. I think I think the better answer for that would be Trent Williams is if they're if they're not playing in the postseason, what happened to Trent Williams? You know, like that yeah. that kind of yeah, thing. Um, but but I, I think maybe to, to answer your question, Alex Mack was, is probably at least so far from what we've seen of their additions would be the guy who would fit that bill because I just can't over I don't think I can overstate how important center is in this offense and what Kyle Shanahan puts on the center and uh another big year from Verrett obviously would be really important but I I think the Niners went through so many centers last year had so much instability at that position and and Daniel Brunskill did his best but he had almost no time to train at that spot you know they cycled through the likes of Hironis Grasu I think they had a couple guys uh it was a Jake Brendel that opted out. There was the guy yeah. that was the guy was yeah. here. The guy was here for a day and then retired. I mean, there's been there were so many things that they went through. That center was kind of that revolving door, and that's Spencer that's one. Yeah, that's one spot. Uh, I think that's right, Spencer Long. That's one spot. I think Kyle Shanahan really wanted to get solidified. So if the Niners are making a run next year, I would think Alex Mack is is playing a, a really big role in it, even if it's something that we're not talking about a lot because. We spent a lot of time talking about center last year for the wrong reasons, and if you're not talking about it, it's probably a good thing. Yeah, I, I'm gonna ju- just to uh, I agree with everything Nick said, but just to just to be different, I'm gonna go with Abukam because because I do think there's upside there, and and I think you know if if Nick Bosa is having a good year, then. Uh, and the 49ers do get to the Super Bowl. I mean, it, it's going to be a complete effort from the defensive line. Like, I don't think it, I, I think it's going to take a good year from all four of those guys, just like it did in 2019 for the 49ers to, to get to that level. And I think getting to that level means you do get something out of Ebukam and he does turn into one of your better signings this offseason. So I think there, there's potential there for sure. 
um, just given the athletic upside and, and if he is coached up and, um, and the other guys perform like, like they need to, um, I think he could give the, the pass rush a spark and, and just some athleticism off the edge. The 49ers have had so many issues trying to contain these athletic quarterbacks and just given Ebukam's athletic profile and, and how he can move in space. Um, I think he could definitely help in that area when it comes to, you know, playing against Russell Wilson in space and, and Kyler Murray and, and all that because, you know, Kerry Hyder was fine last year. He was a good pass rusher, but when he was in space trying to tackle a mobile quarterback, it just wasn't a fair fight. Um, and I think Ebukam with his four or five speed, um, and, and that athleticism can be a guy that, that gives the 49ers a little bit of an answer, or at least helps them improve in that aspect of, of defending. I think that's I think that's probably pretty spot on because I think their pass rush is going to have to be really good again because I'm 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 wary of the secondary and kind of where they're at with it right now. So I think if if they're going to go back to a Super Bowl, I think it's going to be a lot because of their defense. I think their offense is going to be really good, but I think their defense is again going to kind of have to spearhead it, and I think it's going to have to be the pass rush. Yeah, and I'm not saying Abukam is going to be their best pass rusher, but I. It might be they draft a starter who plays over Abukam, and maybe that's the guy who's the answer to this yeah. question, speaking even though he's of, not a free agent. <laughs> speak, speaking of the defensive – oh, go ahead, Nick. Thought exercise, though, especially when you look at what they have uh rest of the offseason. I mean, I think there's only one guy who's signed anywhere in this league that you look at and say, that guy's definitely a potential difference maker for a Super Bowl. And so who would the Niners answer to that be? I, I'm not I'm not sure yet. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of the defensive line... That guy, by the way, is Tristan Vizcaino of the Chargers. <laughs> you know what? That's a great... That's that's a great point. Uh, under the radar signing for the Chargers, I think it's Vizcaino, Lindsley, and then, like, N.A. for who they've, for so who they've added this year. <laughs> no, DJ I think Jones, you're right. You can't put anyone in that category with them. <laughs> DJ Jones was a free agent. I knew he was a free agent, but it wasn't somebody in my mind that I had I had really prioritized. But then they re-signed him, and then I saw the news and was like, "Oh, that's a great move. That's a <laughs> that's that's the right call because he's a he's a really good high quality starter." Do you guys have anything to add to the DJ Jones re-signing a one year deal? I I think it allows them to utilize Javon Kinlaw in a way that they want to. And maybe you could make make the same point about Eric Armstead in that, you know, you don't have to have one of those guys play in that one technique nose tackle role that that's really just about eating up two blocks and allowing um, the other guys to to flow to the ball in, in running plays. I, I think Jones is good at that, and and he's proven to be pretty good at that for the 49ers. And so just keeping him allows them to use everybody sort of in a, in a way that they're meant to be used, or at least in the way the 49ers are hoping to use them. Um, so I, I think if you're, you know, if you're the 49ers, you obviously need your defensive line to be really good, but less so than just acquiring as much talent as possible. It's just finding the right guys for the right roles. And, you know, that was an issue with Solomon Thomas as he sort of struggled to, to find, find a role. Um, and you know, the 49ers were even trying him at nose tackle from time to time. Um, but getting, getting DJ Jones a, a good nose tackle who can also, you know, play the, play the more traditional, um, three tech or five tech, whatever, four eyes, as some would call it. Um, you, you allow those other guys to, to be in those spots that you want to use them ideally. So I, I think Jones is a good player. I imagine it's not an expensive deal. 
Um, you're getting him in a contract year again with that one year deal. So obviously he's, he's probably going to play hard for it. Um, and, uh, and, and yeah, I don't think there's, there's a whole lot of bad things to say about the signing because this is a guy who's played a lot for them who started a bunch of games, um, along a pretty good defensive line. We haven't seen the structure yet, but yeah, that's true. Actually, just, just to add to that, I was told it it was a one year deal, but, uh, that I, I think. And don't quote me on this for sure, but I believe that it is the, uh, for lack of a better term, that NFL salary cap exception rule uh, deal that Ronald Blair got last year where you could pay him, I think it's 2.25 or 2.5 million, but they only count the league minimum uh, against the salary cap. So, oh, so you know, they, they, I, I, I believe that that he is going to be the guy that got that deal, but I'm not 100 percent sure on if that's been finalized yet. But if that's the case, it's it's a it's a really good deal for the 49ers. Of course, it works out for him because he's he still gets a, a decent little payday. But DJ Jones is one of those classic examples, and I say classic like this happens all the time. Uh, we talked we <laughs> talked about we talked about this year how there are going to be some guys who kind of fell through the cracks because of the salary cap dropping guys who might in a normal year get a decent little deal. Not that he was mm-hmm. going to cash in big, but he might've gotten a three or $4 million a year contract on say a three or four year deal. And, and instead he's in this kind of situation. And I think the 49ers have a few of those guys. And I, I wrote about that on Monday that there was, I thought three or four guys that might fall into that. I think Jaquaski Tart is a guy who very well could fall into that. I'm not necessarily saying He's going to be back with the 49ers, but I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up signing a one-year deal somewhere uh, and then goes back on the market next year. So it, it's a good thing for DJ Jones. It's a good thing for the 49ers. And for DJ, at least he gets an opportunity to come back. Maybe he can stay healthy for the full season and really prove what he can do and, and get a, get another bite at the apple next year when he's, he's better positioned to do so. Okay, another signing the 49ers made on the offensive side of the ball came right before the legal negotiating period opened. They signed Kyle Juszczyk. I don't want to get into use check and what he means and how much he costs and all that jazz. I don't care about any of it. He spoke today in a video conference, and you guys were on this video conference, and he gave his perspective on the whole Saturday night thing that led to John Lynch leaking signings before they were finalized and Jed York tweeting hashtag Kyle. <laughs> Nick, first, before we get to use check, I want your perspective on that whole thing. And then I, I want to talk about what, what Kyle Juszczyk had to say about it. I don't know if I have anything interesting to say about, about that whole thing other than the fact that, uh, when the general, when the general manager starts tweeting those things, you then go on high alert. And so if I had to predict any signing that was going to happen at like 3 a.m., I was going to say it was Kyle Juszczyk, um, and not, not Trent Williams, but, uh, apparently it worked in, in reverse in that regard because we ended up waiting around until Sunday evening for that deal to get done. But yeah, I mean, look, the, the Kyle Juszczyk, the Kyle Juszczyk signing was one that I expected them to, to pull off. I thought it was interesting that he said today he was, he was asked to basically ask if he, would throw some other teams under the bus in terms of tampering, uh, asked directly about contact with the New York Jets, which, of course, isn't legal, but he kind of winked about, like, oh, yeah, I didn't really talk to them, but sure I did, you know, that kind of, that, that kind of thing. And 
Uh, I think we all know that that stuff goes on. Usually it just happens at the combine. And there, since there wasn't a combine this year, I'm sure there were other ways that that kind of thing was happening. But the idea that he didn't know what his market was going to be, that he needed to hit the, that he needed to hit the early window to find out what his market was going to be was probably a little bit faulty. I think most of these guys had a, had a pretty good idea of where they were going to be. I think the only thing that kind of changed that this year was teams were still working to get under the cap at that time, so maybe there were some teams jumping into various markets that you wouldn't have expected. But uh, otherwise, uh, pretty standard fare from Juszczyk. One thing that I did take away that I thought that he brought up and that we that Trent Williams, I think, will probably say something very similar when he, he speaks to us is just talking about the way he kind of feels connected to the organization. And I think it speaks to something you guys were talking about earlier where I'm not saying that it's going to be the thing that keeps players in San Francisco or even brings them here. But I think if you get into a scenario where things are all things are equal money-wise and, and in terms of everything else, uh, that's going to give the 49ers a little bit of a leg up because I think that guys really do like being here and, and playing for Kyle Shanahan. And obviously Kyle Juszczyk is right at the top of that list. Yeah, so I mean, we we probably should give a little play by play of what happened Saturday. So what what Please. Kyle Uzcheck said, he wouldn't say he was asked directly who was uh, the, the most, most needed, needed. Um, uh, among the people at Jed York's 40th birthday party, um, but he did say you know Kyle Shanahan was there. Uh, Matt Barrows has written that Al Guido, the team president, was there. Parag Marate, the, the chief contract guy. Um, was there. John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan were there along with Jed York. Um, and they were just passing around the phone and all sort of celebrating. And to Nick's point, um, Juszczyk said it, it's not really the typical conversation you have with owners where it's, um, you know, very formal, very much talking to your boss. Um, it was, it was very casual. And I think these guys do have a, a pretty real relationship. Um, and I think it's, it's fitting as to where the 49ers are from an organizational, I guess, cohesion standpoint in that these guys generally, you know, genuinely like each other's company, like John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan, you know, vacation together and, and they're going to Jed York's parties and Jed York is, is, you know, getting drunk allegedly and, and sending out tweets. Like, I, I think there, there is a, Still a good thing going in that, you know, the six and 10 season and, and all the issues the 49ers had in 2020 hasn't really fractured what's going on behind the scenes in terms of all those relationships. And it sort of comes through with the way they're able to get these deals done, right? So Kyle Juszczyk wanting to come back before he could even hit the negotiating period with other teams after, you know, we, when we spoke to him in January, he teared up in his end of season press conference because he had no idea what the future held. So he went from, not really knowing if he was going to be back to signing a $27 million contract potentially um, before the negotiating period even started. So, um, yeah, to me, I, I, I think it's funny that, you know, all the brass still party together and <laughs> and are all there passing around the phone when, when they are able to retain one of their key free agents um, because I don't think that happens throughout the league and it certainly didn't happen with the 49ers um, under, uh, under previous – um, administrations when it came to, uh, you know, the GM and head coach and, and everybody in the building sharing such positive vibes, especially coming off a losing season. It's so funny that it was a 40th birthday party. <laughs> it would have been less funny if they were all just hanging out and getting hammered because it's a busy time of year and they had some downtime. But the fact that it's like, yeah, 40th birthday party, let's get trashed. <laughs> 
I think that's great. I mean, it's probably the first time they've all hung like, out and like, <clears throat> partied in a while, right? Just given the pandemic and everything. Yeah, maybe. It could have been. It could have been just like, you know, the first time in a year they've all seen each other in person, like away from football, and not had, you know, <laughs> not had to deal with protocol and all that stuff. That they were just able to let loose, so they d- decided to fire some tweets off as well. <laughs> I'm here for John Lynch becoming the social media GM where he just has like a pun for every signing that's coming. <laughs> the this fact is, that he said I'm thirsty thing. was was probably my favorite part of that tweet. I would like I'd like to see John Lynch start doing like some of your favorite bits, Kyle, where like <laughs> somebody else signs a player and Lynch just quote tweets. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, wow, we'll see we'll see him later this season. That would be great. <laughs> That would be great. Or just sarcastically, like a team signs a backup punter and he's like, wow, championship contenders. Just a <laughs> real, real dick I, about it. I gotta adjust my mock draft. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta adjust my big board now. Or, or, or a team like signs K1 Williams and he's like, damn, we offered three years and 40 million. <laughs> just, <laughs> just being just his own insider. That was, uh, that's a very funny image to me of, of John Lynch just walking around in like a backward snapback firing off tweets <laughs> just because it's very not, not who he is. One of the big overarching topics with the 49ers, and I think it lingers over everything because it's my, it's my opinion that I, I think like top to bottom, the 49ers might have the best offense in the NFC West now. Um, the, the Cardinals, I, I know they have, Kyler Murray and they they traded for for Rodney Hudson today and 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 all that but um I just the the big hang up with the 49ers is their quarterback. So with Trent Williams re-signing with Brandon Ayuk and Debo Samuel and George Kittle coming back where he mostered Jeff Wilson uh, the Alex Mack addition this is going to be maybe the best offensive line Jimmy Garoppolo has ever played behind. And then they could add another receiver, whether it's through the draft or or one of those veterans we talk about who, whose market just kind of stagnates and never and never really materializes. Juju Smith-Schuster, Will Fuller, T.Y. Hilton, those guys are all just on the market right now, and I think it'd be could be difference makers for a team, especially for a team like San Francisco. But again, it all comes back to the the quarterback. Uh, where where Chris do you stand? With Jimmy Garoppolo, are the 49ers as constructed a Super Bowl contender? Or is it, you know, they're a playoff team, but probably nothing more unless they go get Deshaun Watson? Yeah, to me, get I mean, paying Trent Williams that kind of money sort of indicates that you're pushing all your chips into the table, right? So you're mm-hmm. you're probably not going to give Trent Williams that contract. And then go through a transition right away, right? You, you have an expensive roster. Um, you have a lot of guys making big money at premium spots and you're two years removed from the Super Bowl. So it's probably too soon to, to start a complete rebuilding project. And so I think where the 49ers are in, in terms of how they're approaching 2021 is that they do want to win the Super Bowl. And I just can't see them having that goal and then deciding that they're going to go with a rookie quarterback or they're going to trade a pick for Sam Darnold and, and get rid of Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, I think ultimately where I come down is that, 
the only other option that would make sense to me, um, <clears throat> aside from Jimmy Garoppolo as being the starter, is Deshaun Watson. So I, I think, you know, I, the 49ers are either gonna gonna have Jimmy Garoppolo and maybe they draft somebody to be a backup. That's not to say that they won't use a first round pick on a quarterback. I, I do think I, one of my early <clears throat> my my early predictions is that all five of the quarterbacks are gonna go before number twelve. Hmm. Um, but, uh, the point being, I think it's either going to be Jimmy Garoppolo or Deshaun Watson. And, and obviously the Watson thing seems like a long shot and it probably is a severe long shot at this point, but you know, it, it sounds like there's more buzz that Deshaun Watson would like to come to San Francisco. And given the infrastructure that's already here, the weapons, the, the coaching staff, the fact that the offensive line now is short up. Um, it's pretty much the exact opposite situation he had in Houston from a football standpoint because because you have the infrastructure, weapons, everything else. There, you know, Watson could force his hand and say, "I only want to go to San Francisco," but and maybe that um, maybe that depresses the the trade package. I, I'm very curious to see because I do think the 49ers are going to be in on Deshaun Watson if and when he does become available, probably before the draft. I'm curious to see how much influence Watson has on his market in terms of what he tells Houston and how he's going to leverage his no trade clause because he could just open it up. He could say, I'd go to Carolina. You know, he, he played at Clemson, so he's from, he's from Georgia. So playing in Carolina would, would certainly make sense from a geographic standpoint. Um, and you could say the same thing potentially about Miami if he, if he wanted to go there. And those two teams could offer much more than the 49ers could. But what the 49ers can offer to Sean Watson is really the best chance among those three teams to win a Super Bowl uh, as soon as possible, right? Like, I think it's it's fair to say the 49ers would, would be the betting favorites to, to at least go to the Super Bowl. They'd be the betting favorites to win the NFC if they were, to, if they were able to get to Sean Watson and it didn't cost him Nick Bosa, right? Um, and we'll see if, if that's a scenario that, that is even possible, but you know, to me, it's either going to be Jimmy or Deshaun. I think there's probably 99% chance it's, it's Garoppolo, but just given the way the 49ers seem to be constructing this team through free agency, bringing back Williams, it just doesn't seem like they're setting themselves up for a transition. And to, to the earlier point, um, if Trent Williams didn't come back, then maybe it would be easier to, uh, to transition at quarterback because you would have to invest your, you would have to move around the way you're investing to improve your roster. So I think the fact they were able to get Trent Williams, um, that to me indicates they're, they're, they're going all in on 2021 and, uh, and there wouldn't be a massive shakeup at quarterback unless Deshaun Watson does become available and, and he's available for a price that allows the 49ers to keep the pieces they need to contend for that Super Bowl. Yeah, I I agree with a lot of what Chris said there. I want to circle back to what what Kyle asked initially, which is you know just whether I believe that the Forty Niners are set to contend for a Super Bowl. And I, I think the interesting thing with the Forty Niners is is I think in two thousand nineteen a whole lot of things went right for them. Uh, that you know some some bounces went their way. They had pretty good injury luck. It wasn't great. We know guys missed games, but they weren't necessarily losing guys for the bulk of, you know, for the entire season and things like that. And then 2020, everything went wrong. So I feel like there's got to be some sort of median in there that is a more realistic place for next year's team to land. And you're going to find out how good they really are because they're going to get a little bit more of a normalized situation. And so 
I think if, if if you're talking about way the way the quarterback affects that, I I'm I'm with Chris completely in the idea that I think the only way the 49ers move on from Jimmy Garoppolo entirely, I should say two ways. One is if they can land Deshaun Watson. Two is would it would be getting blown away by an offer that somebody else were to give for Jimmy Garoppolo, which which I don't necessarily foresee at this point, but. I think the easy and 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 for to put more of a fine point on it, the lazy way to look at the Deshaun Watson situation is just to say there's no way it's not going to happen. It's it's too much of a long shot. The the Niners are never going to give up that much to to make it happen. He's never going to come here. There's too many teams that can offer more. There's some truth in there. There there are teams that can offer more, but I I do think the 49ers are very interested, and I, I I have been led to believe they've been keeping very close tabs on the Deshaun Watson situation since it first started to develop. I also am, am of the belief that Deshaun Watson is very interested in coming to the 49ers. I'm not going to sit here and say they are his number one choice. I don't know that. I haven't spoken to the man. I just talked to people who've who've been connected in that way who have led me to believe that. And so it's easy to throw it away because more than likely it's not going to happen. But I, I think if we completely rule it out, we're being a little bit naive. So if you're looking at the big picture, Deshaun Watson is the guy that puts them immediately in my mind, as Chris said, if you, if you're able to keep Nick Bosa and a lot of your key pieces in a trade, they become the betting favorites to go to the Super Bowl and the NFC. And it puts them in a position for the next decade where they're going to at least be able to contend. And that really is where the rubber meets the road because you would be getting an elite quarterback like that. Now, I say all of that to say I still think at the end of the day it's probably going to be Jimmy Garoppolo. I think they're going to have to find some alternatives here in the next few weeks uh, as backups, whether it's in the draft, in free agency, uh, a Mitchell Trubisky, or maybe a trade for Kyle's guy, Gardner Minshew, something like that. Um, you know, if they could find some, some, some ways to make that work. But the other thing I will say too, you know, you mentioned Trent Williams and what his return does in terms of making the 49ers appealing to someone like Deshaun Watson. Uh, Trent Williams and Adrian Peterson co-own a gym in Houston. I think he's familiar with Deshaun Watson. I'm not necessarily saying that he's, uh, you know, best friends with him or anything like that, but I wouldn't be at all surprised if, if he had already been in, in, uh, Deshaun's text messages or, or speaking to him, um, and trying to maybe steer things in that direction. My guy Minshew, I mean, he's okay. I'm not ready to make him my guy. No, I, I'm I'm saying he's your guy because you threw out the idea that he could be a nice backup to trade for, and and I oh, I actually okay. think it's a good idea, and we actually have seen some speculation and, and and reporting that he could be available, and if they could get him for a fifth round pick, I would do that a hundred times out of a hundred over Sam Darnold for a second, so. I think I would rather have Gardner Minshew for a fifth than Mitchell Trubisky for no draft picks. Fair. He's gonna be. Yeah. He's still gonna be a fraction of the cost. Yeah. yeah, that's that's. If the 49ers are gonna make a non-Watson move at quarterback, I think that's that's it. If if, if you look at the numbers, just compare compare Darnold to. Minshew and just look at the numbers blindly without looking at their names. It's clear who's been better in the NFL. The only yeah. difference is the draft position. And if you want to argue, oh, well, Sam Darnold has been surrounded by, you know, garbage. You can't, it's not like Gardner Minshew's playing with the 99 Rams. So, you know, there's a, a little bit more of an apples to apples comparison that way. I, I did, I did run a poll a while back on the Niners Wire Twitter account at the Niners Wire if you're so inclined to follow. 
asking if if you'd rather have Sam Donald for a second or Gardner Minshew for a fifth, and it was overwhelmingly in favor of Gardner Minshew. And <laughs> I think I'd rather have him if the compensation was the same for for all the things you just laid out. He has been uh, more efficient, fewer interceptions, way fewer interceptions, almost the same amount of touchdowns. Um, cheaper, yeah. He's just he's a he's a better player. He's a he's a way better player. Yeah, you have to pay Sam Darnold what nine million dollars and give up a draft pick for him. Yeah, I'm out on that. Yeah, and Minshew's under contract for a couple more. It just it, it makes so much more sense yeah. if they add Gardner Minshew um, than if they add than if they trade for Sam Darnold or or like I said, in my opinion, add Mitchell Trubisky. None of the none of the veterans that that we thought they might make a play for are really available anymore. Jacoby Brissett signed and Ryan Fitzpatrick signed and Tyrod Taylor signed, Cam Newton, James Winston. So um the 49ers, if they're in the market for a quarterback, it's it's certainly gonna be a backup and and we'll we'll kind of see how that that plays out. See see the great thing here, Chris, is that Kyle Kyle didn't like it when I said he Gardner Minshew is his guy. But if the 49ers trade for Gardner Minshew he is retweeting all those tweets he sent out about Gardner Minshew, including that poll. And- I actually did. I I don't think I actually tweeted that take. If you can imagine, there's there's a take that I did not fire off on the internet. You did it under a pseudonym, is what you're saying. Yeah, no, I I, I have not tweeted that take. <laughs> I just want to see what Gardner Minshew and, and Jimmy Garoppolo, like what that dynamic would be like. Because I could see Gardner being like this outgoing, really funny, like prankster, just pranking Garoppolo. And Garoppolo is this like really awkward, sort of quiet guy that just kind of like laughs. Sort of, sort of similar to like the Kittle dynamic in that Kittle's like the loud, rambunctious guy and Garoppolo's more quiet and reserved. I wonder if they'd start to gang up on Jimmy a little bit and, uh, and, and give him the what for, for the, uh, you know, for being the highly paid, handsome quarterback and all that. The Kittle Minshew buddy cop movie, I think, would be a lot of fun as well. Yeah, well, you what they call Jimmy what Jimmy GQ, so you like GQ versus like what Outdoor Magazine or whatever. <laughs> for I don't know what the best one would be, but Jimmy GQ and Joe Dirt. Or yeah, yeah, something something to that effect. That would be quite a quarterback's room. Yeah. Jimmy Garoppolo cruising in in like a sleeveless shirt with short cut off jean shorts and, and a mustache. Quite a look. <laughs> Would be quite like opposite weird. day or something. Gardner Minshew yeah. comes in like just quaffed hair and clean shaven and in a Gucci <laughs> suit or something like that. Yeah, with with the some more, new hey, the, on. The more we the more we talk about it, the more I need need. This is a need, not a want, to happen. <laughs> Kyle's guy. We hey, he's my guy. He's my guy now. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm out of stuff. I'm out of yeah. I'm out of stuff to talk about. I'm out of stuff too. I think that was good. Next. Thank you for uh, for joining us. It's been too long, man. Yeah, we should talk more often. Thanks for ha- thanks for having me. It was uh, gonna gonna be an interesting couple of months here, and I, I think the 49ers, uh the, the big takeaway for me over the the first week here is just we we knew they were gonna try to keep a lot of their guys. They had priorities that they were able to get taken care of, and uh, now really they just it's a really important draft for them this year. I know we say that every year, but I think this year. In particular, because they're, this is a roster that's really good at the top, but they need a lot of young, you know, cheap, cost-controlled guys that they can have for a few years to kind of fill out the roster. So uh, excited to see how that plays out. I want predictions from from each of you. 
they don't have to be, you know, like hard hitting, tying your name to it forever. But if they are going to add one more player that like, like a name type of player, what position do you think it would be at and who do you think it would be? Uh, I think it would be a corner and I'm going to go with, uh, with a guy I know Nick mentioned, um, I think early in the week, but Casey Hayward, mm. Chargers corner who yeah. got released. Um, I think you could probably get him for cheap, uh, particularly if this drags out a little bit. I think he obviously is a scheme fit and, um, and he's a good player. He'll be, I think he, he'll, he'll turn 32 right around the start of the season. So, um, I think it would make sense just from a veteran you, who you get cheap and, and who would be a, a good scheme fit. You stole Nick's guy. I was I was thinking about throwing <laughs> the chum in the water and saying something like Juju just to uh, just to get everybody in a... it. Was my answer. <laughs> but, but no, I, I I do think I think corner and I, I mean I think it could be I think it could be Kwan Williams uh, coming back that wouldn't shock me. Um, but I think I think corner is probably right because I do think they're going to add. Uh, a, a fairly significant investment in the draft at corner, whether it's a, a nickel. By the way, I think I told you guys, my, the guy, it's very early, but the guy I really like in this draft is Elijah Molden. I watched some of him the other day. Big Elijah Molden guy here. Uh, so, yeah. so if they want to sign an outside guy and then draft him, I would be I would be on board with that. Um, but I think Casey Hayward is is, is a guy that, that makes sense. A.J. Boye, another one, if, if they wanted to go that route as an outside guy and, and then draft a nickel also. Um, but corner just seems to make the most sense because I think it's still the most pressing need and, and nickel is an obvious need that they need to fill. And you want veterans there too. You don't want to go entirely with young guys. It's a pretty, pretty important role. And you don't want to have to go in there with, with, you know, Jason Verrett as your, as your top guy, ideally. I think they're going to sign a receiver and it's going to be David Moore from the Seahawks. Uh, okay. More the last three seasons, uh, 78 catches, about 1,100 yards, 13 touchdowns. I think he could could compete for and fill that Kendrick Bourne role pretty effectively. So that's my that's my pick, David okay. Moore. He's ba- he's baiting us to make a David Less joke right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that would be isn't, that would be on brand. Isn't David sure. Less the UC Davis men's basketball coach? That's Jim. That's Jim Less. Sorry. That is that is niche. Yeah, it's a very very niche joke. So to the two listeners, to the two listeners who got that, shout out. Do your final four predictions real quick, and then we'll go. <laughs> oh man. Okay. Uh, Juju Smith Schuster is one. I haven't even. I I honest to God, guys, I've I've been uh, invited to a lot of brackets, but I have not actually looked at one yet. I think I've watched a combined total of four minutes of college basketball this season. Wow, Chris, your Buckeyes are good too. That's that's. I know they are. They are pretty good. I'll watch. I'll watch this. Our star player actually played at a uh, rival high school of mine. So, um, oh, there you go. While you were there, first time there were two seeds since I think I went there. So big things popping. Big Ten was legit this year. It'll it'll be uh, should be a good time. All right, let's yeah, get out of here. College basketball, all right? <laughs> okay, we're gone. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. 
But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.